Hey y'all, this is Tim Monzingo with the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of Deep East Texas. Uh, I just wanted to take a second before we get started to let you know that, you know, this is a podcast about substance use. Sometimes you're going to hear us talk about things that are tough and uncomfortable, and really our overall goal is just to help people be healthier and happier. Um, with that said, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. You know, feel free to pause and step away from this if you need to. Uh, the episode is going to be right here when you get back, and it's most important for you to just take care of yourself. Uh, thanks a lot. Whether it's alcohol, tobacco, legal or illegal drugs, it's a fact that people from all walks of life struggle with substance use problems. That's a fact that we're going to explore here on Give, Get, and Grow, a podcast by the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of Deep East Texas. Uh, in this show, I'm going to talk to people who've seen the effects of substance use and recovery firsthand. They've seen heartbreak and tragedy, but they've also seen that it doesn't have to end like that. Uh, this show is going to be about stories of addiction and despair, as well as recovery and hope from the people who give, get, and grow in recovery every single day. Uh, I'm Tim Monzingo, and I'm the Public Relations Coordinator at the Region 5 Prevention Resource Center here in Lufkin in beautiful Deep East Texas. Thanks for joining us. The summer of sixth grade, I started smoking marijuana. Um, laughing a lot. My mom kept on asking me, you, you so got an appetite. Like, what, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, you know, there's so many of us at grandmother's house, and you only get portions, so that's why. You know, I was trying to lie. So this is Chris. And Chris's admission that he first experimented with marijuana when he was in sixth grade or about 12 years old might seem kind of shocking to folks. But in fact, data that we've collected here at the Region 5 Prevention Resource Center shows that in Deep East Texas, the average first experience with any type of substance is between 13 and 14 years old. Uh, kids usually take their first drink just before they turn 13. They might experiment with tobacco around the age of 13 for the first time. And it's the same for marijuana. Kids are known to experiment with it around the age of 14. Chris's first experience with substance use actually began when he was sneaking drinks of his mom's wine cooler. It was later on down the road when he was spending a lot of time away from home that he was exposed to marijuana. You know, my mom worked and went to school, so I was always at my grandmother's house. And my grandmother raised two of my cousins. My cousins were about a year older than me. One of them was a year older, the other one was two years older. So they were hanging around with all these guys, and I would always see them standing in a circle, and they'd be, like, smoking something and laughing and having fun. And one day I was just curious to know what they were doing, and I joined the circle, and they were smoking weed. They made it look fun, you know. They were just laughing and giggling and having a good time. wasn't bothering anybody, you know. So it looked fun and exciting to me. So I wanted to try it. And my first experience with it, I was, it was, I was a lot of laughter, you know. So I thought it was fun. I thought it was a cool thing to do, you know. So it's important to know that people who work in behavioral health often think of childhood development in terms of risk and protective factors. Uh, a risk factor is something that it could be biological, psychological, uh, cultural. It could come from your family. But it's something that contributes to a higher likelihood of a bad outcome later. That could include a mental health crisis, a uh, substance use disorder, a, a number of things. Protective factors are the other side of that coin. They're things that reduce those risk factors. They're things that make it easier for kids to deal with trauma or difficulty at home. And, you know, those, those protective factors could be good education, safety at home, um, family involvement, community involvement, things like that. Unfortunately, Chris dealt with some pretty significant risk, risk factors early on in his life. The guy who my mom was with that was actually a real father figure was shot and killed in front of me, you know. 
So that kind of, I went, I was on a downward spiral from there. You know, I never got any therapy or anything like that. And every time I would see an image, I would want to get high to get that image out of my head. And marijuana just wasn't doing it. And so one of my friends introduced me to cocaine. So instead of substance use being something recreational for Chris, it became a coping mechanism to deal with stress and trauma in his own life. He and his friends didn't really know about or, or think about access to resources like counseling or therapy as alternatives to, you know, picking up a joint or doing a little cocaine. Um, it just wasn't part of their lives. That behavioral pattern of, of using substances as stress relievers or as ways to cope with trauma continued and it continued escalating as trauma and stress escalated in Chris's life. So I had um, my first child when I was 17 and I was working and going to school and playing basketball and it was like a lot of stress. You know, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't know what to do. You know, about 2006 or seven, I got a DWI with a child passenger, which made it a felony. And so they put me on probation. At this time, I was smoking PCP. I didn't even have alcohol in my system. So how I got a DWI is beyond me, but I'm pretty sure it's better than the alternative. So just to be clear, under the Texas Penal Code, alcohol is not a requirement to be charged with intoxication. Um, the, the Penal Code itself says that intoxication is considered not having normal use of mental or physical faculties by reason of the introduction of alcohol, a controlled substance, a drug, a dangerous drug, a combination of two or more of these substances, or any substance into the body. Uh, a subsection of that is also having an alcohol concentration of 0 .08 or more. So what this means is you can be charged with an intoxication offense, uh, DWI, public intoxication, anything like that, as long as the arresting officer believes that you are not in control of your body or your mind, no matter what the substance is. Chris said he didn't really take probation and, and the consequences of this charge seriously. You know, he skirted the rules as much as he could with his probation. You know, you know, we slick, you know what I'm saying? We know when we come in, we got to take a drug test, so we're going to be prepared for it. We're going to pass it and then go on getting high doing what we do. Um, one, it just got to the point to where I didn't even care no more if I failed to pass. And she was like, either I'm going to lock you up or get you some help. And I'm like, what do you mean give me some help? And that's when I... Uh, found out about treatment centers and AA and NA and all that type of stuff. And I went to um, Austin, Texas, to a treatment facility there. Chris was sent to a nine-month program in Austin, but it didn't click with him. The counseling that he received there, he felt wasn't something that, that spoke to his background. It, it, it didn't affect the changes that it was intended to. He said the program seemed too clinical and too focused on, on just teaching about drugs and not learning how to be sober. That was that was a fail. It, it didn't work. I, I think the day that I left, um, I stopped and got a, a beer. So that, that did no good. It was like nine months down the drain. It was a cognitive program. So it was more about their book than it was being clean and sober. They mainly taught me about the different types of drugs, the different levels of drugs. Really, I think they made me a better addict than they did a sober person. Honestly, I relapsed, of course. And I got away with it for a while. Um, I even completed probation successfully somehow, some way. And I ended up smoking PCP again. I was running a restaurant here in town, and it was a lot of stress, especially when people get their income tax. You know, like they balling on the budget. They don't want to come to work. So I get paid for 50 hours a week, and 50 now is 70, 80 hours a week that I'm working. And my body couldn't take it, so I started smoking more and more and more to try to keep up with those hours. I ended up getting in trouble 
And I, of course, I just told him straight up. He was like, were you high when you did? I was like, yes, Ron, I was. Do you think you would have done it if you wasn't high? I know I wouldn't have done it. I'm surprised now. Like, that's not me. It's out of my character. So they sent me to um, Bay Area in Dickinson. And that's when I fell in love with the recovery. At the facility in Dickinson, Chris found counselors and folks that he could relate to. People that could talk to him in a way that, that made sense to him, that, that mattered to his substance use. Um, I went to Dickinson February 25th of this year. The first thing I noticed, um, I, I start comparing them. Like the first time I went to treatment and now I'm in treatment again. So I look around, I see no cameras, none of the doors are locked. And so I asked one of the, the counselors, like, what's stopping me from leaving? And he said, you. And he said, if you want to leave, feel free. We ain't calling no police. We ain't calling no PO. That piqued my interest. I was like, okay, so if it's that easy to leave, they must got something good going on here if they don't care if you walk out the door, you know? So... Another thing I noticed about them was like everybody there, the counselors and the staff went through that program, which helped me a lot. Cause I, my first experience with the, a counselor was she graduated from college and became a counselor. She was telling me, um, all you have to do is if you don't want to do drugs anymore, just quit. And well, if it was that easy, I wouldn't be here with you. You know what I mean? Chris had been down that road in the past and he knew that there was no such thing as just quitting a substance use problem. He knew that he couldn't just put it down and walk away from it for good. There were times that I, I, I felt like I wanted to quit. There were times where I actually did quit. I, I stopped, but I didn't stay stopped. So I couldn't figure out for the life of me, like, well, how come I can go two days, three days a week? And then I pick it up like it's nothing. Like what's stopping me from continuing to stay stopped? That was the hard part for me. And I just didn't have the I just didn't have the knowledge really. I didn't know no other way. I even had my doctor ask me, if, if I told you right now, if you left this office and you got high one more time, it'd be your last, do you think you'll go and get high? I said, I'd probably test that theory. I'd probably go and get high. To, uh, the honest guy to I'd probably walk out of here, go get it, and get high. I would have to see for myself. And that's sad. But to think that it had a hold on me like that kind of bothered me a lot, you know. It did. To think that he could say Oh, your next one gonna be your last. Your heart can't take it, so don't do it. And then my mind says, "Oh, we gonna go do it. Our heart can handle it. So we've been handling it." How crazy is that? That realization, coupled with things that were happening here in Lufkin, as well as the counseling, really hit home for Chris. While I was there, quite a few people that I knew was dying here from getting high, and that's a scary thing within itself. To know that that could have been me if I was still here in town. That could have been me. Especially now that they putting fentanyl in everything, you know, my, the next one could be the last. And so this counselor was actually breaking it down step by step, and they, they speak directly out of the AA book itself. We were family. We were all in there together, and I'm going to sit here and talk to you and coach you and make sure you get it until you get it. I want you to succeed. I don't want you to be out there doing the same thing that you were doing. May the 26th, I got out. It's been an amazing journey. Honestly, uh, a lot of things my counselor Greg taught me, I reflect on. Um, there, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, to me, in my experience, it's easier to get high than it is to stay sober. You actually have to put some work in to stay sober versus all you got to do is pick it up, you know. So it's, it's, been, it's been a struggle here and there, you know. Um, temptation, you see things, you see people, and you just, you just have to. Now I play the tape all the way through. You know, whereas before, it didn't matter. The idea of playing the tape through is, is looking at the logical progression of your actions. So 
Chris mentioned that, you know, if you hang around with somebody you used to get high with all the time, the likelihood that you're going to get high is pretty high. Um, even if you're really committed to your sobriety, that's just more likely to happen. So Chris is, is working through that in his head and he's also taking stock of what's happened in his past as evidence of that. Me and my experience, I could get the jobs, I could get the cars, I could get the girls, I could get the houses, but eventually they're gone. And it's all my fault. And it happened, it was uh, at least three times I could have been married, you know. I'm running businesses, doing great, and then here come the drugs, and down, down, down I go. This is my second chance at recovery, but this is like my third chance of the judge slapping me on the wrist as far as giving me probation. You might not do that next time, you know. Chris said an important part of the process for him has been seeing other folks in recovery, recognizing that, you know, they had the same issues that he faced, the same troubles that he faced or something similar, and that they're coming through the other side of it. That's been a big deal. I used to have a neighbor who I knew was like, she was on pills real bad. And when I went to a meeting, she was chairing the meeting. What surprised me the most is that her daughter came up there to see her and I went to school with her daughter. And I talked to her daughter when we, I was living beside her, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's my mom, but I don't talk to her, I don't deal with her, I don't see her, I don't fool with her. But then when I saw them together, I knew, you know, was, this has got to be something. Because her, her daughter couldn't stand her because of her habit. Mm -hmm. And now here she is, right here by her side while she's trying to meet, smiling, laughing, talking to her, bringing the kids around. And then there's another guy, um, I saw him in there doing the same thing. And he's been, he was, I know since I was born, he was doing it. And he's like sober now, clean and sober. Chris is working in, in restaurants again. He's cooking and, and, and really wants that to be what his life is about from here on. He wants to open his own restaurant, something that has a combination of different types of foods, um, something that's, that's just uniquely his. There's, there's a solace in cooking and working in the kitchen that Chris finds. He doesn't know if it's, if it's the, the act of cooking itself or if it's the music he's listening to while he's working. But there, there's a peace and a, a serenity there to him, even when he's busy. One of the things Chris wanted people to know is that if they're struggling with their own sobriety or if they're, they're struggling with a substance use problem, that there's a simple thing that they can do to, to help keep them on track. If you do get into recovery and you're staying sober for a short period of time and you find that you can't do it or something stresses you out, let's all take something to stress us out or make us mad or whatever call somebody all it takes is you to pick up the phone and call somebody to stay on the right track that's all it takes chris is in his late 30s and he spends time thinking about his future and what it might hold and, and the possibility of opening his own restaurant someday when he thinks about that part of what he thinks about is that guy that he knows who is also in recovery the one who spent years chasing getting high and is now sober himself i, I saw him walk the streets every day he was strictly about finding it and finding more ways to get it and stuff like that. And now to see him, he's working a job, he has his own place, his own vehicle, he's happier than ever. I want that. I want that. If you or someone you know needs help with a substance use issue or concern, or even if you just want some more information, you can always call the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council at 1-800-445-8562. This podcast is a production of the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of DBs, Texas, and the Region 5 Prevention Resource Center. We work in Angelina, Hardin, Houston, Jasper, Jefferson, Nacogdoches, Newton, Orange, Polk, Sabine, San Augustine, San Jacinto, Shelby, Trinity, and Tyler counties, where we provide prevention, intervention, and treatment services. 
The Prevention Resource Center has a ton of good information about the region available as part of its mission. You can find it at adacdet.org slash prc5. That's adacdet.org slash prc5. Big thanks to our guests for sharing a little bit of their story with us today, and a big thanks to all y'all for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the new episodes as they come out. You can keep up with ADAC on Facebook at facebook.com slash A-D-A-C-D-E-T and on Instagram where we're at A-D-A-C underscore D-E-T. Our intro music is called Beat 10 and our exit music is Little Bits by the Johnny Dodds Trio. We found both songs for free at theopenmusicarchive.org. Thanks for joining us. Be safe out there and take care of yourself. We'll see you next time.